we're going to jump into this again tonight. Uh, tonight, um, a little bit different than what I normally do. Uh, I, what I prefer to do is just jump into a passage and, and dig it out right there uh, in that place. Um, tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at some ideas um, surrounding the family and hopefully some things that will be helpful to us uh, moving forward. Don't worry, I'm not preaching out of some other book tonight. It's still Bible that we're going to be looking at. Uh, but instead of an expository uh, type of thing like I would normally do, uh, I just, I want, I believe God has some very practical things for us tonight uh, from his word, uh, simple but profound at the same time. And I hope we'll, I hope we'll receive it and hear it. Um, this morning, I, I've already kind of preached part of the introduction uh, this morning, somebody says, man, that was just introduction. What, what kind of preaching do you do in the church where you pastor? Uh, well, uh, you know, I usually go about two and a half hours in the church that I pastor. So I decided for your sake, I'd preach the introduction this morning and then give you the message tonight. No, I'm, I'm teasing with you about that. But uh, it, this morning, some things I preached will help in the introduction, especially in the way of understanding that when God made man, he made man righteous. He made man perfect. Now, he, that dominion he, he gave to man, it did open the door for evil and wrong decisions and sin to come in. But God had no desire to create a race of humanity that fellowship with him and worshiped him because they had to, but because they wanted to. And so that was the reason for the dominion that he gave and that, that free will, that choice. But I do want to remind us that, that man was created in righteousness, was created perfect in the image of God. And another thing that's often overlooked that man got to enjoy for at least some time was an overlooked characteristic called innocence. And uh, I really do believe that innocence is a gift from God. Um, I, I, I won't, for sake of time, I won't be able to go in and really develop this uh, like I would want to if I was in a series or something like that. But, but I think we can understand tonight, just in, in a few brief moments, that even though all of mankind sinned in Adam, Romans chapter five, and therefore we're all born in sin and sinners, there is a gift that God gives to every human being that comes into the world called innocence. Every child that's born into the world is born in innocence, not that he doesn't have a sin nature or she, not that they don't have um, a, a, a propensity to sin, but, but at least we're born into the world without full knowledge of sin, without full understanding of all of the ways that we could go bad. There, there is an innocence that's a gift from God. And that's what man was created in. And that's in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And of course, we know in Genesis chapter 3 that sin was allowed to come into the human race by Adam and Eve's decision. And, and, and even though we might not be able to put a definite number of years on it, we can put a number of chapters and that is from Genesis chapter three to Genesis chapter six, while the human race grew largely in numbers, 
so did sinfulness. So that in Genesis chapter six, I'm gonna ask you to turn there, if you would please, with me. So by the time we get to Genesis chapter six, the Bible says in verse number five, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Remember, this is not what God made. This is not what God created, but this is what, what, God, what God had created had become. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Sometimes you might hear a preacher say, especially uh, the more uh, mature that, that preacher, that pastor becomes, you might hear him say something like this. Boy, I'm telling you, the world's so evil and so wicked, it's more wicked than it's ever been before in history. And it is bad. But this is a strong indictment right here that God gives against the world in the days of Noah. And as bad as the world is today, I don't think we can say that quite yet about where we're at. We are headed there, no doubt. The downward spiral of sin in Romans chapter one is in full effect all around us. And there is more and more wickedness all the time. But, but once again, listen to this charge from God that he, that he gave against mankind. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man in the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air for it repenteth me that I have made them. And let me remind you, he would have been just to do that. He would have been right to do that completely and totally. But I am glad verse eight is there, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God is a gracious God. It's a long suffering God. But after Noah had preached for 120 years and built a boat, eight people got on board. And God restarted the human race from eight righteous people made righteous by their faith in the promise of God. But that doesn't mean that the chain of sin was broken. Because shortly after the ark came to rest, shortly after life on the face of the earth continued, sin rears its ugly head again. And we just go a few more chapters to Genesis chapter 11 where the Bible says in verse number two, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there and they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they, had, and they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one and they have all one language and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have, here's this word again, imagined 
to do. And we're almost right back in the same situation again. God and his word are being ignored and people are going on living more in their imagination than they are the reality of the truth of what God says is right. Tonight, uh, just, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be long, hopefully. I just want to take a few minutes and I want to preach on this. I want to preach on innocence and imagination. Innocence and imagination. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us tonight and Lord, that you'd address some things in our hearts and uh, Lord, communicate to us through your word what we need to hear tonight. God, speak to my heart. I, I need straightened. I need reproved. I need challenged. I pray that you'd do that in my heart tonight as well as the heart of everybody in here. God, I pray through your word tonight that you would strengthen family units in Eastside Baptist Church. By the, by the truth that is to be presented tonight. God, I need your help and I ask for it publicly tonight that you'd help me say which I, that which I must and uh, Lord, just uh, pass over anything that doesn't need to be said. God, I ask you to help me in that. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to, if you would please with me, think about these concepts uh, tonight. Think about the concept of innocence. When I'm talking about innocence, if I could kind of define it for us a little bit tonight, it would be this. It would be the, uh, the, the lack of knowledge of wicked and sinful and evil things. It, it's, it's a great thing. As a matter of fact, uh, one of my favorite passages that talks about the innocence, especially in youth, is something that Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 at the end of the chapter. And when, at the end of that chapter, he says, he says uh, to the youth, he said, let someone's heart cheer them in the days of their youth. He actually even says this, let them walk in the ways of their heart. Matter of fact, I've read the whole Bible many times and I've studied most of it. And I'll just say that that verse in Ecclesiastes 11, when it says that a young person should walk in the ways of their heart is the closest thing to a Disney phrase I've ever seen in the Bible. And like that, that, is the, that is a lot of the central message of Disney and stuff like that. I mean, Walt, Walt Disney kind of had a, a, a motto about dreams that kind of led him in his set up of, uh, of the Disney utopia. No, I'm not just bashing uh, Disney tonight, but I'm telling you, if you look at the movies, especially the animated classics and things like that, you, you're gonna see a central message coming out again and again and again, and that is follow your dreams and anything that you can dream, uh, you can do and, and all this kind of stuff. And while it sounds good, it's not really true to reality. And a lot of that is because our dreams are tainted with self and sin. And a lot of times we dream things that seem so good, but in reality, uh, they either would never materialize or they, they wouldn't be what we wanted them to be when we got to them. And so it's interesting that, that Solomon says that in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, but the reason that he can say to the youth to walk in the ways of their heart is because the years of realization of what all is in life haven't fallen upon them yet. 
He's actually admitting that in youth there, there is an innocence in life and he says to young people, enjoy that innocence. Don't rush past that innocence. Don't seek to know everything that can be known. And church, I, wanna, I just wanna admonish us tonight together. There are things in this world that we would be okay if one day we stand before Jesus and we never knew about. We never knew existed. What I'm saying is this thing called innocence is worthy of our protection. And one of the great principles of family and the family structure that God set up is to try to protect as much of that innocence for as long as possible. I like over in uh, Revelation chapter three when Jesus is writing to the seven churches and he writes to the church at Thyatira and he addresses a particular crowd in the church. Here's what he calls them. Those that have not known the depths of Satan. He particularly addresses a group in the church that have not known the depths of Satan. He was applauding them. He was thanking them. He was, he was encouraging them and cheering them on. What he was saying is, hey, you protected something that was worthy of protecting. You realize there's, there's probably more ease of access to information in our culture today than there has ever been in history. With the internet, with social media, is it any wonder that innocence in the youth is being eroded at a much faster rate than it has been in previous decades? What even kids have access to at their fingertips is alarming. And what you need to understand is that once innocence is gone, it can never be gotten back. Once innocence has eroded, there's no going back to being innocent again because it's a one-time thing. It's there, it's there as long as it's protected and then it's gone. And you don't even have to try to lose it. You can lose it completely by accident, but it's gone. That ought to say something to us. We ought to be careful what neighborhoods we roam in. And I'm not talking about housing developments around the city. I'm talking about if you think, if you think your child can have a phone or an iPad or a computer in their room and it's okay, I'm trying to tell you tonight, it's not okay. That innocence is gonna be eroded so quickly. It's gonna gonna fall apart and I'm telling you, once it's gone, it's gone. And, And look, life is still livable once innocence is gone, but it loses some of the freedom and joy because of the awareness of now, I have to be careful in this area. Or now, something is, has been introduced to my mind or my flesh that has set hooks into me. And now I've got to have some standards. Now I've got to have some self-appointed limitations. And now there's some areas I can't go and there's some accountability I have to have that was never a problem when I didn't know that that existed. Do you realize there, there's a reason why churches have standards? 
There's a reason why homes ought to have standards. There's a reason why mom and dads ought to, ought to set personal standards in their home. And young people, you need to understand, there's a place for those rules. There's a need for rules in the home. It's okay that mom says, no, you can't. It's okay that dad says, no, that's not gonna happen. Uh, no, there, there's a reason why mom and dad says you can't go with them and, and, and things like that because they're doing what God appointed them to do. They're trying to help you. They're trying to protect you. As long as they can, they're trying to keep that innocence intact. There's another idea that's closely related with innocence. And it's not good or bad. It's neutral. That idea is called ignorance. It's a neutral idea. A lot of times we think of ignorance as a bad thing, but not all ignorance is bad. It, it, you know, if, if, uh, if somebody is ignorant of a lot of evil things, that's not, a, that's not a bad thing. Now, if somebody's ignorantly gullible or influenceable, then that can be a very bad thing. But it is closely associated with innocence. As a matter of fact, it's, it's an idea that makes innocence what it is. Because of that 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 innocence, uh, that, that ignorance of evil that maintains an individual in innocence. So it's really certain types of knowledge that erode the innocence. But it's that same type of knowledge that erodes innocence that really finds its way into the imagination. And I'll tell you, innocence and ignorance is a great combination. But ignorance and imagination is very dangerous. When somebody has now been exposed to ideas that are not of God, that are not righteous, that are not pure, but they're in ignorance of what to think about them or how to think about them. And so they're just going through their days thinking about them and developing these ideas in their imagination. I'm just telling you, that's an incredibly dangerous thing. As a matter of fact, it's the very thing that got humanity wiped out in a worldwide flood. Because God looked at humanity and he saw that their sinfulness was very great on the earth and he saw the wickedness of man's imagination and he saw that the imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Listen to me very carefully. Imagination's not always a bad thing. Every time I read my Bible, I use my imagination. I have to. I mean, anytime you read anything, you use your imagination to kind of visualize what you're reading and, and put it in a certain understandable perspective and, and things like that. So, so imagination is not always bad, but imagination that, that is not that has no boundaries or parameters set to it, an imagination that just runs free and takes ideas to extents that, that are outside of reality and apart from God's truth are very dangerous things. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned this morning that 
I have opportunity to be in a public high school. And it's amazing how many problems that are dealt with have to do with a young person who's just really let their imagination get the best of them. A person who's living more in their imagination than they are in reality. And, and, and not only are they living in their imagination and not only are they free in their imagination, but they are living in ignorance. So they're, they're making decisions based upon what they think is true, but it's only true in their imagination. I'm telling you, more and more high schoolers are sexually active and believe that they can participate in that kind of activity and there not be long-standing consequences. But that only happens in the imagination. In reality, there are consequences for that. And they are life-altering consequences. But somebody's living and making decisions in their imagination and their ignorance, ignorance and those are a dangerous combination. So somebody says, okay, well, I, th I think I get the message here, Pastor. So take my kids home tonight, lock them up, never let them out of the house. Never turn on the TV, never access the internet, ne never do anything. I mean, uh, you know, I think he's encouraging us to like cult or something like that. Not at all. That's actually not at all what I'm saying. As a matter of fact, cults turn out to be some of the sinfulest situations that ever were. Yeah. Uh, getting, getting everybody together and living in a commune doesn't maintain innocence. Right. Because there's still wicked imaginations in a commune. If you lock everybody in your own house and let them have no access to the outside world, guess what? There's still sinfulness in your house <laughs> because it's in you and it's in them and it's all around us. No, seclusion is not the answer to ignorance and imagination. That's not the answer. As a matter of fact, we're on the words that start with I train, so let's just stay there, shall we? Here's God's answer to the erosion of innocence and the remedy for ignorance and imagination, it's called instruction. And it is the responsibility of every parent, of every child. You say, well, okay, I, I know about this. I know where you're headed. You're saying that when my child turns 12, we got to have certain talks. Hang on just a second. Who said anything about age? You don't give instruction based upon age. You give instruction based upon the erosion of innocence. Because God's solution is that when innocence is erosion, innocence is eroded, it better be immediately place, replaced with instruction. Instruction has to move in and take that place because here's what that does. It takes the ignorance out of the equation and sets the parameters for the imagination. That's good. Yes. 
That's what that instruction does. So here's somebody, here's a child, they're born in the world. They don't know about all the evil. They don't know about all the sin that they can get into, but they have a sinful tendency already built into their heart and they're already gonna gravitate toward that direction. And because of that, that propensity that is already in them, that innocence is slowly over the course of time gonna be eroded. A parent can have the right kind of rules and standards in the home that will help protect that and guard that innocence uh, for a longer period of time, allowing them to actually enjoy their childhood more and be free in their childhood longer. Kids, you hear me? I said by those standards and rules, you actually get to enjoy greater freedom and more enjoyment of childhood than if you're having to deal with all the knowledge of sin. So if you've got a parent that has rules and standards in the home, thank God tonight for that. Thank God that you have that. You're blessed. You're not cursed, you're blessed. You're not in bondage. You're in the parameters of freedom. And by the way, all true freedom has parameters. Any true freedom we get to enjoy has a fence around it. It's not the absence of fences that constitutes freedom. It's being in the right kind of fences that allows us to enjoy absolute freedom. So a parent's got to be looking. A parent's got to be watching. Especially in our culture today. Especially in our society today, you're not going to stop a kid from wondering about something he saw. You're not going to stop a, a, a kid from wondering about something she was exposed to. And maybe you've tried to keep them from it. But I'm just telling you, there's no safe place on earth where you're ever going to seal your kids away from the knowledge of all sin. You say, well, I'll tell you what I will do. I'll have them in church on a regular basis. And I'm going to tell you, they'll be exposed to sin at church. That's not an indictment against Eastside Baptist Church. It's a truth. From second grade to, to 12th grade, I was in public school. I, I attended public school from second grade to 12th grade. From ninth grade to 12th grade, I got away from the Lord because of influences that came into my life and, and carried my heart away from God. I, I was a preacher's kid. I still went through all the motions and did all that, faithful in church, didn't even grumble and complain about it. But my heart was so far from God during those high school years. And I did some stupid stuff. I, I, I uh, enjoyed listening to secular music that was against the rules of my house. So I had secular music on cassette tapes. Don't, I, I, kids, I'm sorry, but I don't have the time to explain, okay? I had secular music on cassette tapes that were labeled with preachers' names. Deceptive. I had, so, so if my dad ever looked through my cassette tape collection that I played in my Walkman, he would be like, nah, there's my, there's my boy. Loves him some preaching. Had he ever gone to listen to one of those messages, I wouldn't be preaching here today. <laughs> Possibly. <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I was deceptive like that and I, I hid that. 
Where'd you get access to that? Did you know that in all of my years in public school, nobody ever gave me access to secular music? But a kid at church did. I'm sorry to tell you that the first time I ever saw pornography was during those teenage years. And I wish I could say I'd never seen pornography. But I can't say that because I was introduced to it. It wasn't somebody in the public school. It was another kid at church. And I went to a good church. These kids had good parents. Sin sneaky. And, And innocence gets eroded through the natural course of life. And parents, you need to be watching your kids. You need to be involved in your kids. I'm not talking about super controlling. I'm not talking about keeping them under your thumb. I'm talking about parenting them in a godly way where you are attentive and active in their lives. You'll start to notice some stuff. They'll act different. They'll respond different. You can tell something's wrong. You're allowed to ask questions. Get to the bottom of it. Find out what they've been exposed to. And by all means, take God's word and tell them what God says about the thing that they've been exposed to so that they now mentally have some parameters of how to handle their imagination about that subject. It's just practical stuff. It's just practical stuff. In the first eight to 10 chapters of the book of Proverbs, that principle is is being taught over and over again by Solomon toward his son. We're gonna take just a little bit of time to do it. Turn with me to Proverbs and chapter one. Proverbs chapter one. I know that in Sunday school today and now I'm referring to Proverbs, if you need help having the right kind of family, go to the book of Proverbs. I'm telling you, it will help you. It will help you. Proverbs chapter one, verse number one, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. A fool would rather continue in that combination of ignorance and imagination. Don't tell me what God says about it. I like my take on it. But their take is deadly. Their take is gonna destroy them. So the erosion of that innocence has gotta be be met uh, with instruction. Verse number eight, my son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother for they shall be an ornament of grace under thy head and chains about thy neck. Proverbs chapter four, verse number one, Hear, ye children, the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. law. 
For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. Verse 13, take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. Chapter 6, verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Chapter 8, verse 10. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. Can I tell you, attaining riches does not make a sinner less sinful. It doesn't. You, you, can give a, you can give a sinner a lot of money and it doesn't make them a better person. It only gets them greater access to their sinful ways. What you need more than riches, what you need more than money is God's truth to set parameters on how you think about life. Yes, sir. Verse number 33. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. For whoso findeth me findeth life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. And, what he, and who's speaking there is wisdom and instruction. That's a serious thing. One last thing and I'll be done. Jesus lived on earth for about 30 something years, was in public ministry for about three and a half years at the end. There were some disciples that followed him around and they're pretty hard headed. They didn't understand a lot of what he said. And it wasn't because they couldn't understand, it's because they were too occupied with other thoughts. As a matter of fact, it, they were wrapped up in a combination of ignorance and imagination. They, they spent their days arguing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. A kingdom that wasn't, wasn't even going to be set up yet. Some of them were so childishly involved in this debate that, that when it seemed that Jesus wasn't giving them any answers, they decided to get their mother involved and have their mother ask for those positions. I love that story because mom comes, James and John's mom comes and asks Jesus if one can sit at the right hand and one can sit at the left hand. And the Bible says that Jesus turns and says unto them. In other words, he didn't even answer the mom. He knew where the question came from. <laughs> so he turned and dealt with the ones where the problem was coming from and just left the mom out of it. But on the night before he was crucified, he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays. And in John chapter 17, he prays. I know a lot of people call the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
That's an example prayer that Jesus used to teach his disciples how to pray. If you want to read the Lord's Prayer, read John 17. Because that's the Lord praying. And in that prayer, he says, Father, I've kept those that you've given unto me. And God, I pray for them. And here's why. Because the world's hated me. And the world will hate them. And I'm going away. I come to you, Father, but they've got to continue on here. So this is how the Son of God prayed for his disciples. He said, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. He said, Father, there's a lot of evil in this world, but here's how they're going to be protected from the evil. They're going to know the truth. He had already said back in in John chapter 8, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. This had been continually brought up from the very one who was full of grace and truth. And now he's praying for them that the Father would set them apart, that the Father would set them in good order, that he would sanctify them through truth and thy word is truth. I'm telling you, there is a responsibility in every home to have that home saturated with the truth of God's word so that everybody in that home knows how to deal with the evil and the wickedness and the sin of this world when innocence has eroded. So homes, you got some responsibilities to go home with tonight. One is set some standards and rules that will protect that innocence for as long as you can. Don't expose those in your home to unnatural and unholy things sooner than they have to be exposed. Have rules about what can be watched on TV and what can't be watched on TV. And some of you, some of you might look at me right now like, preacher, that's archaic. It's biblical. It's right. I mean, do we still sing in Sunday school, oh, be careful little eyes what you see? Oh, be careful little feet where you go. Oh, be careful little ears what you hear. Mom, dad, you've got a responsibility to try to protect that innocence for as long as you can. But you have another responsibility and that is to notice when innocence has been eroded and be ready to immediately replace it with instruction and not just your thoughts on the matter, but what God says about it. Tell them how God feels about that. Give them a pathway for their life. Give them a lamp to light that path and show them where their feet are supposed to go. That's training up a child in the way he should go. And that that verse does not mean that they will never walk away and do their own thing. But what it does mean is if they do decide to walk away and do their own thing, they've got to drag what you taught them with them. And they will never get away from it. It will always be there and by God's grace, he will use that to one day bring them back to where they need to be. But there's a responsibility there and that responsibility is being neglected so much. Even amongst Christian families today. So that ignorance and imagination is prevailing 
not just in the minds of young people, but many times in the minds of the parents. Parents would rather go on in wicked imaginations than line up with the instruction from God's word. And I'm telling you, we need to just get back to Bible living and Bible teaching. Somebody might be sitting here tonight thinking, well, I'm I'm glad for our pastor and I'm glad for our assistant pastor and I'm, I'm glad for our Sunday school teachers. They teach us the Bible. But parent, you're the first line of defense. I'm just going to tell you right now, because I am a pastor and have been one for over 19 years, by the time the pastor gets involved in trying to help your kids from the ignorance and imagination that they've allowed themselves to get wrapped up in, it's gone, a lot of times by that time, it's gone far enough, we're going to have a fight to ever get back. But if a parent is involved like they should be in the life of a child and can notice when certain ideas are realized and immediately meet that idea with instruction from God's word on how to think about that, I'm telling you, you are literally giving life to your child. And if I can go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, he doesn't just say, walk in the ways of thine heart and leave it alone. But what he says is, know that for all of this, God will bring you into judgment. Meaning that just because you're a kid, you don't get a free pass. Truth is still truth. So then he comes to this admonition, and this is where I'll leave you tonight. Therefore, remove sorrow. Remove it while you're young. Parents, you can remove a lot of sorrow from your kids' later lives by meeting the erosion of innocence with instruction right now. You can give them a greater sense of life down the road and a greater foothold to walk on by just meeting the erosion of innocence with instruction right now. It's amazing how quickly it happens. We've got to be watchful. We've got to realize, no, I know that I've got a job and I've got to make money and I've got to put food on the table, but the number one job that God's given to every parent is to parent. And that means being involved in your kid's life. It means having conversations. It means listening to what they say to find out what they might have picked up on and then following that up with, hey, I know you've been exposed to this, so let me just go ahead and tell you, here's what God says about this. Here's how God says we ought to think about that. Here's why God says that's dangerous and we don't have any part with it. That's our job personal responsibility to get it done. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight to take our job seriously. Lord, every young person in here has a job and that is to resist evil, to resist temptation, to do their best to stay close to the authority that you've placed in their life. God, there's safety there. There's provision there. There's help there. And I pray that every young person in here tonight would realize that. God, I pray for the parents that are in here tonight. God, help us to realize the magnitude of the job that we have in raising kids, in in raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Help us to take a personal responsibility in that. God, help us to seek to know your word 
so that we can know how to answer their questions when they arise. Help us to seek to be grounded in your word so that we can ground them when the ground that they're walking on crumbles from underneath them. God, I pray that you'd help us in this tonight and do a work in our hearts. Help us to have a willingness to respond as you've spoken to us in Jesus' name, amen.